What it is, ladies and gents, and welcome back to another episode of Wolfie's Gaming Den. Here we are. It's episode 27. Now, I know you guys must be thinking, Wolfie, where you been? It's been like, what, two months? A month and a half? Uh, I, I can't honestly remember. I'm not sure. I mean, the last thing we talked about was uh, Pokemon expansions and a bunch of games got delayed and whatnot. But, you know, things got busy. Things got busy here. So... Things were kind of in a tizzy, you know, going on. So the holidays ramped up. There wasn't a whole lot of game news. So I was like, oh, there's not much to talk about. And I got things I got to do with the families and whatnot. So let's get that done. Um, so doing that. And then, you know, my job, I got transferred to another location. So I was doing that and getting that all adjusted because of a different schedule and all sorts of stuff and figuring out my pay. It was a, that was a nightmare. Um and on top of that, like I'm trying to plan a trip out to Alaska with a bunch of buddies. I'm trying to plan my wedding. <laughs> I am, and, and then on top of it, then I get invited for a trip through work that is really in a month. So I'll be in San Fran for a week. It is. It's been hectic, extremely hectic. But somewhere along the lines, my my motivation to play video games like skyrocketed, and I was literally like. So I, I kind of got a schedule down to where I wasn't necessarily gaming during the week because I would come home from work and then do things around the house and whatever else needed to be done and, you know, hang out with uh, my fiance. I was like, I don't want to do a whole lot. I don't want to play a game. I want to be, you know, involved with what she's doing, talk to her, converse, hang out and relax. I'll, I'll save my video games for, you know, the Friday nights, Saturdays and Sundays and whatnot. So I was doing that and I would go hard into it. And then if I wasn't doing, if I did want to play a game during the week, I was playing on a handheld. So recently I dusted off the old 3DS XL and I started playing um, Fire Emblem Fates Birthright because I bought the um, the special edition of Fire Emblem Fates when it came out. So it had Birthright, Conquest, and Revelations all in one cartridge. So I was like, you know, I bought this special edition thing years ago, haven't played it once. So let's get that going. So I'm enjoying it. It's, it's really fun. It's, I wish it had come out before Awakening. Because I all I hear about how Awakening is such a better game, and Birthright is very much more an easier game than what I played in Awakening. Um, while I never finished Awakening, I'm definitely having a more enjoyable time with Birthright, simply because it's simpler. So I'm getting like the the wheels are turning, the cogs are going, so I understand what I need to do and how the game works. And if I had gone into Awakening with that, I would have enjoyed it more, and I would have continued to play it instead of constantly picking it up, putting it down picking it back up, putting it down, starting over because I don't remember what I was doing. It it, it became convoluted. So I stopped playing it altogether. So I'm enjoying that. Um, honestly, and I, also the story's kind of, it's grabbing me more as well because it kind of kicks right off, you know, with, you know, Corrin deciding like which family he's going to go with, whether it be the Norians or the Hoshidans uh, and things of that nature. So that, that's really cool. I really grabbed my attention. Whereas in Awakening, I couldn't tell you necessarily, like I think, so their mother died, and then they're going to fight the king that did it. But, like, it's just so typical. It wasn't necessarily super engaging. Now, while it does also happen in Fates, it's not the overarching plot, you know? The idea is to figure out what happened with Corrin in his childhood, how he ended up with the Norians, exploring his relationship with his family, and, and at the same time kind of exploring more mysteries about the Hoshida in the Norian War. So, really going along that. Um, sorry, so I'm also drinking this. Mm. I don't know what also, along in the same renaissance of me playing video games, my love for craft beer has like exponentially grown. So I, I there's a party, uh, 
not a party source. Anyway, it's a big liquor store chain. There's a store right down the street from my apartment. And so, you know, I realized, oh, I can buy individual cans because I'm not a heavy drinker anymore. I don't drink a whole lot to get drunk. I just drink because, you know, it tastes good. And I like trying new things, especially when it comes to beer. So I was like, let me just pick up one or two and uh, of something I've either already had and I enjoy or two new things or one old thing and one new thing, you know, mix and match kind of deal and pick up a few of those and drink them throughout the week. And so... I've been doing that, and of course, a lot of my favorite breweries are putting out all sorts of new stuff, so Taft's Brewing um, Company, uh, located in Cincinnati, uh, put out something called the Hazelnut Latte, and what's really cool about that is is the coffee they use for this good old stout um, is brewed from um, another coffee brewery I used to go to frequently called Deeper Roots, so when I heard they were pumping this out, I was like, I gotta get on it, so I bought that, and then Braxton put out their Graders collaboration for this year, which is a white stout. I have no idea what the hell a white stout is, but I'm all for it. And then all of a sudden I'm liking IPAs again, which for a while I did not like those when it was the first real kind of craft beer style I was getting into. It was a lot of IPAs and I stopped. It's been crazy. So I should probably slow down, as I'm, but at the same time I don't think I'm going too fast. So I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Mm-mm, mm-mm. So on top of playing Fire Emblem Fates, I also picked up Kingdom Hearts 3 Reminds. Uh, the DLC for Kingdom Hearts 3. And so that was a huge rekindling and probably what really kicked off the whole thing, thinking about it, was because... So I bought Kingdom Hearts 3 at launch when it came out last year. And at that same time, and I've probably said this before in the show, I was getting all four of my wisdom teeth pulled. So I am high on painkillers on my couch playing a very, very flashy, very, very Japanese game um, with Disney characters. So you can imagine the things I was seeing and how much fun I was having. That, and like, I got sick time from work, so I'm getting paid to be high on painkillers and play Kingdom Hearts 3. So that was awesome. But the thing for Kingdom Hearts 3 was, I was like, oh man, this trophy list is totally attainable, so let's just go for the platinum. And holy hell, that was a grind. And not like an enjoyable grind, it was just monotonous. So I stopped, and I kept saying, I'll go back to it, I'll go back to it. A year later, Remind's coming out, I'm like, oh shit, okay, well I guess I'll do that. And I'll, I'll go back and kind of refresh the brain. And I beat Remind's episode, the first episode of Remind. And ugh, spoilers for anyone who cares. Uh, I was kind of underwhelmed because a lot of it was cutscenes. And while the very beginning cutscene, which lasted forever, gave some exposition on certain things, it didn't quite answer questions that I was expecting to have answered because of the way they kept portraying what Remind was going to be. I feel like I didn't walk away with any inform- any new information, but or I walked away with new information, not answering questions, but new information that brought more questions. So it was like, what? No, that and for thirty bucks, and the first thing you have to do is all these cutscenes, and then you're also essentially replaying the final fight from the last act of Kingdom Hearts three. It w- it just seemed like a a cop out. So I was like, this was. I don't care to do this. And while it does give you the option to play as the other characters, so one segment you can play as Riku, and then you can play as Kyrie, and then you can play as uh, Roxas, and all of that stuff. And while that's fine, they don't have nearly as many abilities as you do as a fully powered up Sora. So it wasn't as fun, and it was a little more difficult. So I found myself just choosing Sora after the first time I realized how that was going to play. I'm like, I'm not doing that shit. Especially in something as monotonous as redoing a bunch of boss fights I did at the end of 3 the first time I played it. I don't care to do that. And then 
And so, and this is another gripe I have with the Remind DLC. So it bases the save file of the DLC off of a completed save file you have for the game, which is fine. But, but you cannot, if you go back to your previous save file to play, so like say you want to do some grinding, because you can't necessarily grind in the Remind DLC because it's all straightforward. It's a very linear process. There's no world traveling. It's not like an extra world or anything. So you realize, oh, I'm not strong enough for this yet. You've got to go back to the base game, and then you have to start Remind section all over again because it's pulling from that save file that you completed. But it's not from when you started it. So it's not carrying on or, oh, hey, you've done this. We'll apply that to it. You've got to start over again, which sucked. So I was like, oh, my God. And then... I realized like the end of the second half of Remind is like the datascape, so very much like the, um, I can't remember what it was, in Kingdom Hearts 2 where you can refight the old um, Organization 13 members that weren't available as normal boss fights, and they're extremely difficult. You're doing that with the new Organization 13, and it's extremely difficult. So if you didn't level up Sora to level 99 and get all the stat boost and whatever thing you had to do in that, in that original save file, you were screwed because you couldn't necessarily level up again. You just, so I had to essentially, what I decided to do is like, all right, I'm going to go back, Platinum Kingdom Hearts 3, grind my ass off, get everything I need to do, and I'm going to go back to Remind, redo the first half of Remind again, and then I'll do the um, the data battles, or whatever they're called. And so I never finished the data, ba- the data battles, but I did get Kingdom Hearts 3's Platinum Trophy, which was awesome for me because that was the first Platinum I had had in a while. So it's like, sweet. And so I was like, well, let me start going through the backlog here. It's a good year. I'm at a good point where I can just start playing games and knocking them out. So then I started playing um, Infamous First Lights. <laughs> for those who have missed Heffalump miss, uh, meowing in the background, there you are. Um, <laughs> uh, so I'm, um, I Platinum Infamous First Light got that knocked out which that was a lot of fun and it makes me wish sucker punch was putting out another infamous game here soon after ghost of tsushima but i think that's the last we'll see of that franchise for a while so you know say it ain't so but it is what it is Una momento. you ever feel like when you drink something and you, you know you're drinking it and you're trying not to make a lot of noise while you drink it you end up making more noise, and then you don't want to stop and make it quiet. Then you realize, wait, do I ever drink anything quietly? Like, are all of my gulps just really loud, obnoxious? I feel like that all the damn time. But anyway, so after that, I was like, all right, what do I do? And then PlayStation had a massive sale go on like two weeks ago, so I picked up a bunch of stuff. Um, most more importantly, I picked up Resident Evil 2, which I've been waiting to get my hands on for a while. But with the announcement of Resident Evil 3 getting a remake as well and launching as soon as it is, as it goes, shit. Okay, so let me go into the two. But then I realized I've also got Ratchet and Clank, the remaster, or not remaster, the remake from 2016, and I was really close to platinuming that. So I was like, uh, let's just get it done. So I started playing that, and I'm playing. that's what I'm playing currently, and I'm loving it. I forgot how much I loved that game, how much fun it was, and I will always always credit insomniac games as one of the like premier developers over anyone all the time and here's why so something insomniac's always done is they've always taken aspects that have worked in previous games and 
carry them over into whatever new game they're making. So it's never like the weapon wheel from Ratchet and Clank, right? Like we've seen it in every Ratchet and Clank iteration and we've only seen it get improved. And if it doesn't improve, it's because they're like, let's keep that the same because it worked out really well. There's no sense in changing it. No one's complaining. But if they can think of, oh, hey, we can do these small little quality of life things. Let's do that. They've done it. And it's just gotten better and better. And so we've seen it in every Ratchet and Clank game. We've seen it in the Resistance games. We've seen it in Spider-Man. So it's we saw it in Sunset Overdrive. And I believe Fuse also. So that's been so cool to see them do because they recognize if it ain't broke, don't fix it, which I think a lot of developers could learn from by carrying things over. Stop trying to make things so drastically different. Just improve what you've got. And then if you want to throw new things in there, throw them in there. And this is another thing Insomniac does. If they throw something new in there and it doesn't quite work out too well, they either, one, realize what the issues were and they fix them, or two, they just take it out. Like, why the hell do we have it? It didn't work. No one liked it. Pitch it. Okay? It's so cool to see, and I feel like every time they put out a new game, I call that game the Voltron of games. So, and I first applied that to Sunset Overdrive because it had a lot of the traversing elements from Ratchet and Clank. Uh, with the real grinding and jumping and things of that nature, and they improved upon it tenfold. Like, okay, cool. The weapon wheel from Ratchet & Clank, awesome. The gunplay that came from Resistance and Ratchet and & Clank, awesome. There was just so many things going on that you could pull from a lot of their previous games, and it's just like, holy hell, this game is great. And they've continued to improve on it. So, And then Ratchet & Clank 2016 came out. They took in everything, every possible good thing to come out of a previous Ratchet & Clank game and threw this in the game gameplay-wise. And I thought that was great because they didn't need to do anything crazy with the game. They didn't need to. There's no. They just took, all right, let's just take the things we know that work well. How do we apply it to this game? And they made it work. They did the same thing with Spider-Man. They took the, traverse, the traversal elements from Spider-Man, or not from Spider-Man, but from Sunset Overdrive, applied Spider-Man elements to them, of course. They took the weapon upgrade system that they worked really well, that worked well from Sunset Overdrive and Ratchet and & Clank and implemented that in a way that still fit Spider-Man's theme. So, and it just worked, and that was a great game. And so now while a lot of people can complain, well, that's playing it too safe. Like, what do you get out of that when you play the things too safe? Things get stale. But at the same time, you know, another testament, another testament to Insomniac's developing capabilities and how good they are is that they listen. If they hear the community saying, oh, this is the same thing we've seen before, blah, 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 they're the first to acknowledge, okay, what do we do to freshen it up? What do we do to innovate? They work through those numbers, and I love that about them. And I will put them, again, over just about any developer out there And when it comes to a lot of things. Um, so anyway, so... Doing that, um, just trying to, you know, catch up on all of these things before the onslaught that is the March and April release between Animal Crossing, Doom, Final Fantasy VII Remake, um, which just dropped a demo today, if you guys aren't aware, so go ahead and download that now. Um, what else is there? There's, um, I know there's more. There's a lot. Resident Evil 3 Remake. Uh, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but there's a lot. So I'm trying to get everything done before then. My pre-order list, because my Gamers Club Unlocked membership from Best Buy expires this month, and you know that's gone for good. You can't get that back. So I'm like trying to pre-order every little thing I can to lock in that 20% off. 
That way, if I decide I don't want it, I can just return it when I when it gets shipped to me, or I just cancel the damn pre-order and be fine. So <laughs> I'm a cheapskate, and I'm going to take full advantage of it. So that's what I've been doing. Um, so what I do want to talk about today, guys, because this is Wolfie's Gaming Den, a video game podcast hosted by yours truly, Alex Wolf, with the knee on the end, to talk about the latest things going on in video games. Um, you can catch the show on Spotify, Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and other podcast services out there. If you're a fan of the show, be sure to follow the Twitter page at Wolfie's Game Den or the Instagram page at Wolfie's Gaming Den. If you'd like to support the show any further, you can always go to my anchor.fm slash Wolfie's Game Den or Wolfie's Gaming Den, sorry. That, that throws me off every time. And you can hit support this follow or this support this show. And you can donate some funds, you know, and as little as a dollar. Any little bit helps. Again, I don't do this, you know, I'm not counting on you guys to do it. I don't do the show often enough to where you have to do that. And it costs me next to nothing to do this. It's just a fun thing I like to do. So what I do want to talk about today is next gen. So specifically, what's going on with PlayStation and can Xbox capitalize? So PlayStation, the last thing we heard, uh, officially out of their mouths as far as I know, unless I've missed any bit of news here, was the logo reveal for the PlayStation 5, which was, you know, unexhilarating because they just took the PS4 logo and added a 5. Um, You know, not bad, but not great, especially at a platform, I believe that was at CES this year. Um, So... We're at the end of February, which everyone thought we were going to get a reveal, right, um, of the PlayStation 5 and get price details, a big oppressor or something by the end of this month, similar to what happened with the PlayStation 4 back in 2013. Um, here we are. There's nothing out there. We don't have a reveal date. We don't have a presser. We don't have a state of play. We've got nothing. So my question is, with it no longer being, uh, you know, that speculation's out the window, right? February's out. So when when do we expect it? PlayStation's pulled out of E3 this year, so they're not going to do it there. But while they may not do it there, they do have the potential to do it around E3 week. They don't have to be there to make news um, by any means. So will we get something around E3? And if we do, what does that look like? Do we get a press conference, you know, uh, similar to the PlayStation's forward reveal, or do we just get a state of play? I would think something of this magnitude and as big as it is, we would get a um, a press conference. But I think with PlayStation trying to establish the state of play as a big deal each time it happens, whether it's going, or at least as something that's going to get draw every time they announce one, much like how the Nintendo Direct uh, directs work, and how there's so much hype around those that. I wouldn't be surprised if they went ahead and said, well, let's just do a state of play and announce the details there. That way it's accessible. It's easy to do. It's You don't have to spend a ton of money on a massive venue. You can just record in a studio you have and you can clearly get out details. And at the same time, you can set up an events elsewhere where you can have press come and try out the new console. Whereas that trying to get, I, I imagine trying to get a big press event like that is nightmare. You have to schedule, you have to pay for it, you have to invite people, you have to make sure people are keeping hush hush about being invited, um, unless you want to let them know, like, oh hey, here it comes, get the hype train going, um, and at the same time make it a, have enough units available for everyone in the press to play, 
and then you know I try to get itinerary and attendee list blah, 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 blah. probably a lot easier to have everything done in a video and then take care of that afterwards either at a different location or the same day whichever one uh, works better for you so that's what I would think would happen I think we will see something spring I don't think it'll be the summer we hear about the PlayStation 5 reveal um I think with GDC being postponed indefinitely that this will be a good pocket for them to do so just simply because there's no other news going on and it's this is the time when uh, especially when they Sony was one of the first to pull out of GDC you know due to coronavirus concerns I wouldn't like this be, again it's just like at E3 just because they weren't going to be there doesn't mean they won't have news around then when everyone's already on the internet searching everything waiting for news to come up uh so I imagine March April would be the window I don't think like I said May I think would be cutting it short I think at this point in time you want to create that window to where um you can allow people to start getting their pre-orders out. You have a better idea of what allotment looks like uh, for your pre-orders. So, I mean, I remember when I worked at GameStop and the PS4 launched, We all had, they gave us trackers. We were allowed to pre-order a certain amount of PS4s, and occasionally they'd give us more allocations, depending on how that goes. When you shorten that window of time for pre-order and pickup, you don't get... And I, you don't have a real good window of, oh, we've got more allocations we can put out, you know? So, uh, because you're not getting those pre-order numbers as spread out. So, I mean, if you start earlier, you get those big chunks like, oh man, so many stores here have already pre-ordered and filled their allocations. We can go to a lot them more. That's not going to happen as, well, I shouldn't say it can't happen, but it's going to be tedious because it's a fire drill because everything is so close. So, I would think, because I'm expecting the PS4 to launch in November, that spring would be a good window. They don't want to go anything later than that. When it comes to the price of the PlayStation 5, I don't, everyone's expecting because of how expensive it is to make the console, to, it's going to be $500. I don't think we'll get that. I think Sony will do, do similar to what they did with the PS3, where that was so expensive to make when they realized it wasn't selling. Because um, of the price tag on that, starting off at eventually like six and then five and then four. And eventually found a good marker with four and three, or a good marker with three fifty and three hundred. I think they'll they'll eat those costs. You know, they'll take those losses, and then make their money back up in services like PlayStation Plus. Um, maybe making an infamous, uh, not infamous, and bigger infamous on PlayStation Now to get that going, uh, as well as other services. I mean, PlayStation View is shut down, but things of that nature, and then also. With them launching their direct store on their own website, that'll help cover some of those costs as well because they no longer, again, have to worry about a third party, um, at least not as much as they would by handling it themselves. Um, I think accessories will be a big deal. I think we'll get a similar... I think we'll see something... So that back button attachment that's now out, that's out now for PS4 controllers, I think we'll see controllers with things like that built into PS4, not PS4, into PlayStation 5 controllers. So I think we'll see something similar to Xbox where we have the standard controller, but then a premier version that's not done by Scuff or anyone else, but handled in-house by PlayStation. So I think that'll help. I think with Sony's huge, huge emphasis on being the place for first-party games, 
uh, because that's what they, that was their bread and butter with this last generation or this current generation. Um, I think they're expecting to make a lot of money up from that as well. So I, I think they'll understand like, hey, we'll eat those costs in the consoles. It is what it is. We'll make the money back other ways. We know our consoles will sell, especially if we get it at a good price point. I mean, so for instance, GameStop, you know, when you walk into a GameStop, a Target, a Walmart, a Best Buy, whatever, to buy a system, whether it's PlayStation, Xbox, Nintendo, who gives a shit? Those companies lose money when they sell just a system because of the markup on them. Because there, is, there isn't much at all. It's a negative margin from what I understand. Um, so that's why you get those, oh, do you want extra controllers? Oh, do you want PlayStation Plus? Oh, do you want these games? Do you want these charging stations? Do you want this? Blah, 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 blah. Do you want those things? Because that's how that company, that's how those retailers make their money back and that's how they get that in the door. So imagine if that's it, PlayStation probably doesn't have a lot of room for markup on there anyway, so they may have been losing, you know, making money necessarily off the console, but not a whole lot because they are gauging everything off of what they're going to get in attach rates. So I think if they had to take it more uh, more of a negative margin just to offset the, how expensive it is to get the, uh, the consoles made, they'll do so just to get the install base because that's what it's about right now. I don't think it's about sales numbers I don't think it's about making the money right now at console launches. I think it's about getting the install base, right? I mean, that's what happened with the Xbox One and the PS4 when they launched. The Xbox One launched at a $500 price tag and PS4 launched at four. While Xbox One definitely had more of a selection of launch titles with Rise, Son of Rome, Dead Rising 3, and, and um, Forza 5, or Forza 5, PlayStation didn't have much. They had whatever third parties were at the time, so a lot of sports titles and Call of Duty. Uh, Drive Club was delayed a ton of time. Knack wasn't a great thing by any means. And there was a third one. I just can't remember what. Oh, uh, Killzone, Shadowfall. Again, none of those things. One was delayed. Two of them weren't great titles. Um, and they didn't necessarily even show off a whole lot of what the PS4 could do. Like, sure, they were pretty looking. But even Xbox games, like they had, the games looked pretty um, they had a good online connectivity with Forza and they were first party titles that or two of them were games that already had an established, uh, IP, whereas PlayStation had drive club evolution studios had MotorStorm. So, but even then it's a brand new IP knack was a brand new IP really riding off of certainty's coattails is one of the creative minds behind crash bandicoot and then Killzone Shadowfall. Uh, developed by Guerrilla Games was the only real true franchise out there and even that it didn't go over too well in the, uh, in the long run so but because they had the more accessible price point they had a larger install base so you saw more PlayStation 4s in homes faster than you saw Xbox Ones which allowed for them to really capitalize on getting those of uh, the PlayStation Plus membership sold it was allowed them to have more copies of their first party titles like God of War like Spider-Man like Horizon go out and they were sold more because it was accessible. More people own those consoles um, outright than any other console out there at the time. So I think that's what it comes down to. Because again, we'll also get, re like I'm sure we'll see remodels of consoles, right? We'll, we'll get a PlayStation 5 uh, Slim that's going to be more cost efficient, but it'll, it'll run quieter. It'll do this, it'll do that. Small little quality of life things, but it will also be easier on the cost. We will also more than likely still get like a PlayStation 5 Pro. I just got off Google and saw an article where there's talks of a PlayStation 5 Pro and a base PlayStation 5 launching uh, side by side. 
you know, so it's not about um, necessarily um, the sales, but more about getting, the, I shouldn't, what was the word I used? I can't even remember. It's more about getting the consoles in houses than it is making the money off the console sales right now. That's what I was getting at. There we go. Um, it's about install base. So something else, as I mentioned before, the PlayStation 4, when it launched, didn't have a great lineup of games. I think Sony will try to capitalize on that this time around because they have been learned they they are now known as the the first party giant of having so much and at the same time they don't want to lose out to xbox with how much xbox is touting that they have a ton of first party games coming to this to the xbox ecosystem here soon um, with how many acquisitions they've made Mm. Mm -mm -mm. so i think we'll see now granted what what do i think we'll see we won't see God of War right away. We won't see Spider-Man. We might, might see Horizon 2. I think just because it's been quiet for Guerrilla Games, we haven't seen anything come from them, I think, since uh, the Frozen Wilds DLC for Horizon uh, Zero Dawn. I think this would be a good time, but at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if they waited until sometime next year, uh, early next year, so not quite at launch, but soon after. Um, so I think that'll be something there. I think they'll still focus on third-party partnerships, much like Activision with, much like their partnership with Activision when it came to Call of Duty. I think we'll see something along those lines, and that'll be their big push, especially with the holiday season. Holiday season's always been known for the third-party rush, not necessarily first-party, because everyone, everyone in the grandma's putting out. Yes, we have the big titles like Assassin's Creed games. Uh, you've got Call of Duty games. At the time, you had Battlefield games. You had all, you had the sports titles. Those were where it will drive your holiday numbers. Let the first party stuff fill in the next year, especially times like February, January. Uh, that's winter, early winter, or late winter, early spring window. There's usually not a whole lot coming out. Granted, that's been a little different the last couple of years, but I think, again, with new consoles coming out, we're going to kind of repeat history in that fashion. Um, so I would like to see how that works. Now, on the flip side of that, I think the Xbox Series X will have a lot to prove. I, okay, I don't think. I know Xbox will have a lot to prove with this generation. Um, they've really laid the groundwork with their services. Game Pass is great. Xbox Live has always been a top-tier online service. Um, with them coming out and having um, Cyberpunk say when you buy Xbox, when you buy an Xbox One version of cyberpunk 2077 you will get and if you own an xbox series x you will get a free upgrade and that's not like a big patch that's like whatever differentiates playing games on xbox series x to playing on the xbox one you get that that is a better build of the game right to give that away for free is huge and again sony hasn't spoken on it yet I imagine they would. I think it's something they'll do, especially with backwards compatibility being such a huge focus this generation for them. I think that'll make its way both sides. I don't think we'll see one side over the other when it comes to that. But Xbox also has acquired a ton of first-party studios. They've got to do something here. And again, I think it comes down to install base. I don't think the Xbox Series X, it definitely won't be $500. I think both of these consoles would be anywhere from 400 to 450, right? Um, and that's fine. Um, but they've got, if they're going based off of price alone, they won't 
for them, they won't make it in homes as much as PlayStation will. PlayStation dominated this last generation, um, and they continue to. Xbox has a lot, you know, they're not going to say, oh, we're going to be $50 cheaper here and there and think, oh, all hunky-dory, you guys. But at the same time, the the average gamer will be aware Xbox has no real selling points currently when it comes to games over PlayStation at the time. Sure, they'll have Halo at launch, right? And that'll be huge for them, but not enough to guarantee them a generation uh, win right off the bat. So... What it will take for Xbox to come out on top, or at least have a strong start, is price. They need to undercut Sony's price. Uh, that'll be one way. Two, they need to have all of these first-party studios they've acquired. They need first-party games coming out right away. And it sounds like they've got that going on, but they just need to be, you know, they've got to cover a lot of, I guess, niche groups. So you've got the hardcore Xbox fans and first-person shooter fans and online multiplayer fans with Halo, right? I would imagine a Forza game will be there, um, so that'll cover the rising genre. You'll have you know your Mads and your Fifas coming as well. You'll have Call of Duty, um, but I think you'll have to appease to the RPG fans as well. I think you'll have to appease like the action adventure, more story cinematics uh, driven games too. They they have a lot. They've got a ton, a metric ton to do, a lot of work to go over. Luckily, with how backwards compatible and forward thinking Xbox has been you'll still have people just buying Xbox Series X because of Game Pass alone, because they know they'll have a ton of games at launch of console, while it may not be an, you know, an Xbox One X uh, headlining game. It'll be an Xbox game that they already own or they want to play at their fingertips. So I think that'll also help out a ton there. So it'll be an interesting console generation. I, I think it'll be a lot of fun. I think it will get... <laughs> it'll be... It'll be one to remember. I think it'll be more. Remin- it'll leave more of a mark than this last one did, just because. I mean, this generation was very much 4K based. Uh, VR was kind of hit or miss. I think only you know only PlayStation really kind of looked forward and moved forward with VR out of the big three with Nintendo, Xbox, and PlayStation there. Um, whereas this one, you know, this will be a huge leap with how video game services have become, you know, talk of the town. VR is kind of an established thing. Um, this last generation was very much, and like I said, VR is at one step, but really kind of just, uh, what's the word? Um, how to make games prettier, right? And I mean, yeah, that's always going to be the thing, but this generation here will define cloud-based gaming. It'll define streaming. It'll define great-looking games. Um It'll there will be a lot worked on. It'll need a convenience of playing games, you know, with how quickly you know uh, how accessible games will be. Video games were downloaded more so this last generation than ever before. Less and less people are going to brick and mortar stores to buy physical copies of their games. That is that was a transition. This last generation, okay, we'll call that the PS4, Xbox One. Uh, era was very much a transition generation, right? Everything was switching over. Here, we are taking the foundation, the groundwork that was laid by that last gener- this current generation, and improving upon it exponentially and capitalizing on it. So, streaming, cloud-based gaming. Um, I holy hell, I can't, I can't think. Good lord, it's been one of the, it's a, it's been a day. 
like my brain is all sorts of fuzzy and I can't focus on a damn thing right now. The fact that I got this podcast recorded is a miracle in itself. <laughs> um, but mm, lost my train of thought. Anyway, as I repeat myself, PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X will be a huge, huge impact on games, more so than the PS4 and the Xbox One were. Um, now we do have to see what, how our friends over at Nintendo respond, right? I don't, I don't think they'll have much of a response. I don't think they give two shits. <laughs> uh, the Switch is killing it, right? Everyone's talking about it. They want a game, if a game comes out, they're going to look at it like, oh, that'd be cool to have on Switch. And I think that will continue the trend. I I don't think we need a Switch Pro model. You know, I think that's the only thing that could be responded with, if or if you can call it if you can call it that. You know, but I don't think it's a super necessary thing, um, just because Nintendo's never been known for having a super powerful console. You know, it's not their shtick, not their not what they do. They put out games that are fun, uh, that are first party, and they make them accessible. And they focus on like local multiplayer and things of that nature. To have to worry about like, oh, we have to have this super beefy console. We need to have this, that, and the other. We don't need that. I think if anything, Nintendo just needs to keep doing what they're doing. Uh, if they need to improve on anything, it's maybe the quality build on the current Switches. And I mean like the Switch Lite is a very, very, very quality console to hold in my hands. When I hold a Switch, I think it's cheap. It feels cheap. I think they can improve on that. And Nintendo Online. They, they, that's got to... Let's make it happen here, okay? I mean, it, there's they have no excuse or reason for Nintendo Switch Online to be as bad as it is. You know? I, I And I don't even necessarily want to say it's bad. It's just, why have it? You know, we're, you, yeah, sure, you get your NES and SNES classics on there. But I can't imagine that's a huge draw for a lot of people who switch online. I think Pokemon will be a draw. I think Splatoon was a draw. And for me to have to pay, you know, however many dollars I'm paying a year just to play the games online and nothing extra in a day and age of Xbox Live uh, games with gold and then the PlayStation Plus uh, free games with plus program, you know, giving out triple tier or triple A titles and whatnot. Switch Online is just not going to fly for much longer. And it, I, okay, I say that, but people will continue to pay and people will continue to do so. I would just hope that Nintendo would recognize that there's a whole lot of opportunity there and they need to capitalize on it and really work on it. But anyway, ladies and gents, that's all I have for you today. It's been good talking to you guys. I know it's been a while. I uh, I know I say this. I think I've said this a lot the last few episodes. I'll try my best to make this as consistent as possible. Um, you can find me next time you hear me on a microphone. Will more than likely be on if you guys remember Stephen Morrow from the Awesome Games podcast. Um, he has been doing a podcast called Diaries of a Trophy Whore. The first episode is now out on iTunes and Spotify. I will be visiting our good friend Stephen Morrow on an episode here within the week, I would imagine, as long as scheduling and everything works out. But I urge you guys to check out the first episode and, of course, check out the episode I'll be on, right? Like, why would I not plug myself? (laughs) But other than that, guys, I'll see you next time. Have a good one.